0: Listening to Venture Church podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. Good morning, again, everybody. Man, I uh, have you ever had one of those weeks where just didn't seem like there was enough for you to go around? Like, like a few weeks ago, I had one of these weeks. I, it, it started on Monday morning. I think 6 a.m. I got up and, and, and just had the, 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 the tasks of the day, you know? And you go through your day, you go through your day, you go through your day. And we have two small kids, so I come home after, after work, and, and it's like one of those days where I get home later than I expected, and then I get home, and then there's the, I love my kids, but it takes energy to hang out with your kids, right? And then you do, you do the kids thing, and then my wife and I had something planned that afternoon, and then we go to bed, and I remember it was like, it was late at night, and I thought, I just need some rest. I'm, I'm getting tired. I fall asleep, but before I recognize it, boom, my alarm clock goes off again in this morning, and it's 6 a.m., and I gotta get up for another early morning and go somewhere again, and so that day, I remember being extremely packed because we had a big event coming up on the weekend. So I had to pack in everything on Tuesday to get in everything so I could be ready by Friday. And so then it's Tuesday and I go to my meetings. And that day in particular, one thing I do a lot is I meet with people. Like I've met with some of you guys. I meet with people in town. I meet with people uh, at the YMCA to just work out logistics for church. I I meet with people. I'm I'm involved in several organizations in our state. meet with people over the phone, have conference calls, have meetings at coffee houses, have meetings with people at the church. On and on it goes. And the end of the day came and I go home and I play with the kids. And then this particular night, you might remember that a few weeks ago we were showing these videos uh, every week of people's faith stories. you remember those? Well, those didn't just happen by magic. Someone had to go and film those. And so I remember one of those nights uh, we went out to, to the place where they filmed it, and, and we were there till like 10 o'clock that night. But you know what the next day was Wednesday? And it was another day that started at like 6 a.m. for me. So I'm out of the house. Didn't even get to see my family before I left. Get out, blah, 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 blah. do the day all over again. And I told you I was headed out of town for the weekend for a big event. Uh, there was this big uh, conference in Durham that I had to be at and I have a leadership role in. And so it's, it's, it's Wednesday. I come home, and I'm laying in bed. And I'm thinking, I just need some rest. But on Thursday mornings, I'm here at the YMCA for a Bible study. I lead a Bible study for one of the workout groups that is here. So 6 a.m., I'm here with a few of you guys, actually. And it was like, okay. Gotta get up and do this thing. Then we head to Durham for the event. Now, this event, Thursday night was the setup night. And I didn't get into bed till 3 o'clock a.m. the next day. Still haven't slept yet for the week, right? And so it's like 3 a.m. and I'm falling into bed, finally dozing off and alarm goes off, and I gotta be downstairs again by 8 a.m. Go through the conference, do all the stuff, and then you know I'm a dad. And no matter how much rest you need, if you're a dad, you still gotta be a dad. And it was the end of the year Cub Scout banquet on Saturday night. Where? In Wilmington. I'm in Durham. I've got to leave the thing in Durham, drive to Wilmington. I remember we like, screech, pull up into the parking lot of the place where the event was. My wife and I were like wrangling the kids in. And they're like, I don't even want to be there. I'm so tired. I'm like, it's okay, we got to do Cub Scouts. And we run in and we're like barely in time for my son to get his awards. And he walks up on stage and we're like, yay, you did your awards. And then we sit there for like two more hours while 600 other kids get their awards. And I'm just like, I just need some rest. Can I get some rest? So I go home, and we put the kids to bed, and it's a later night than usual, and it's finally, it's like 10 p.m., and I finally get to rest. But it's Saturday night. Now, I go to this really cool church that meets at a gym at the YMCA, and it doesn't get set up by magic or fairies. In fact, there's a group of us that get here at like 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, and yep, I was here, and I was glad to be here, and it was really cool to be your friends and stuff, but... I needed rest, and I got home on Sunday afternoon, and I looked at my couch, and I said, hello, friend, because I was done for the week, and I just remember, <sighs> sitting down on a chair, I never felt so good. Have you ever had a week like that? Maybe for you, it's, it's like that every week. In fact, maybe you feel like you've been in this marathon for years. And you can't get out of it. And sometimes it's like that because of with me, that was scheduling. I mean, we just had a lot of things that piled on. I could have said no to a couple of things. And if I had to live that life every week, I I would eventually start saying no to some of those things. But sometimes we can control it, but sometimes we can't. You you know, sometimes it's an an elderly parent that is just in need of 24-hour-a-day care. And and you're just there. Why? Because, well, that's what you've got to do. And sometimes it's a job that you're just working, and it's working your fingers to the bone because you're a single mom, you got three kids, and and, and you're working two jobs. And you might need rest, but you really can't stop right now because you got to make ends meet. And and maybe it's a relationship that's wearing you down, but, man, you're just fighting for it. And you need rest. At at this point, we get to this place psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, when, when we say, I need rest. It's not like I need a nap. It's not like I need to take a day off or go on vacation. It's like, no, my my soul is hurting. I am heavy burdened with life right now. There is too much to do and not enough of me to go around. And so maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe you felt like that in the past, or or if you've been in this cycle of life, you know that it's going to come again. What do we do about that? How do we get through that? I'm calling that this morning... I'm calling it the quest for rest. Because I think we all kind of want it. We, we all definitely need it. But the question is, where do we get it? And how do we make it sustainable and how do we make it last? How do we find rest for our soul? I think one of the questions we've got to address first, how do we find rest? First, you've got to ask some questions. And I think the biggest question is, what causes this unrest? I mean, because sometimes do you, ever, if you meet those people and they're just always, like, chipper and happy. And you're just like, what's wrong with you? Why are you smiling at me? I don't know you, right? Where do they get that from? One, A, they're faking. I'm just going to be honest. They're faking. And they go home and they punch their, their kids and stuff. And, like, <laughs> they do that. And then their kids, they don't tell anybody. Like, there's that. So there's that. I'm not at all, it's not funny to abuse children. That's not where I'm going with that. But you know what I mean. Like, they're, they're faking. Uh, then, then there's the other side. Maybe they're just really good at margin, margining um, what's the better word, balancing or, or budgeting their time. You know, they, they have an ability to kind of budget their time. By the way, time is like any other resource we have. It's like money. It's like anything. You can budget your time. You don't have to be worn out because you don't have any free time. You can schedule that. You really can. Um, maybe, or maybe they've actually found a secret to the, to the rested soul. You know, this morning uh, we're in this series called The Chair Across the Room. And we've got the chair on the stage here. And it represents something. If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, I, I encourage you to go onto our website, jointheventure.com. Uh, at the top, there's messages. And from there, you can either follow our podcast or just listen to the message. Uh, it may be up from last week. If it's not, it's, norm- it's normally within about a week, the message from the previous week gets up. But, but I, I unpacked this analogy, and I'll give you the short version version today. It- it's basically this. Prayer is this is this. It's this complex dance that we do with God. Sometimes it's difficult to achieve and difficult to do because we don't exactly understand, like, how do I talk to God? Because he's God and I'm me, and that's kind of, we don't really see eye to eye. We're not on the same level. How do I communicate with God? And we can overcomplicate it. And last week I said, what if we just start with pulling up a chair and pretending like God is sitting in that chair and sitting next to him and having a talk? Just tell God, out. this is how my day is going right now. And, and you know, these are the things I'm angry at you about, God. To be honest, that's where we are. And, and these are the things I'm celebrating and talk to God. It was cool to get some good feedback this week. I heard a couple stories. I heard some stories uh, about people who tried this. Uh, one person told me, I tried it. I tried the chair thing. And I was like, I sat there in my living room and I pulled up a chair. And it, was, it was awkward because I was like, I don't really do this in real life. But then I thought God might want to sit on the floor with me. <laughs> So then, me and God, we have floor time now. And so I was pumped. I was like, yes, you don't have to use the chair. It's just a tool. So they pulled up a, a seat on the floor, and, and, and uh, this person told me it's been good, going going well. And so it's good. I heard another story. Uh, someone said, you know, the chair thing isn't that great, but what I've learned is that I can actually, uh, all the time, I'm picking up my cell phone, and I'm calling people like, hey, mom, hey, boss, hey, friend, hey, sister, or whatever. And I'm calling. What if I gave God a call while I was in the car and just talked to my phone? And, you know, no one thinks I'm crazy because that's what everybody's doing, you know? So so... Um, Whatever works for you, because this is about communicating with God. This is about building this relationship based on communication, and you know what, if you've been in a relationship, you know that you communicate with different people in different ways, and and maybe you have to find the way. Maybe for you, it's journaling, like write out your prayers. Maybe for you, maybe this is your first time in church, and you're just hearing this stuff about prayer, and you're like, oh, I must be in the wrong place, because I don't pray, (laughs) so I'm going to leave. No, don't leave. Maybe for you, it's just that moment of what we talked about last week, the simple prayer, where you just kind of try one time, and you say, uh, God, me, Chris, Um, you can insert your name, my name's Chris, and God is, uh, I kind of need some help here, Um, the end, you know, it's, it's as simple as that, start and try, but pull up a chair, so that's where that whole story, the whole analogy comes in, but what does that have to do with finding rest? I find so often when I talk to people, whether there's someone who like, at Venture Church, we call it being a God chaser, is saying that I'm going to put God in the center of my life. And one of our three goals as a church is to be a God chaser. The other two are being grace-shaped and being love agents. And we talk about those all the time. But being a God chaser, I found that people, whether they're chasing God or they call themselves a Christian or whatever you want to call it, or whether they're not, when they're in this place of unrest in their life, what they're looking for the most is peace. Like if I could just take in a deep breath and then just enjoy life for a minute, that would be good. Peace, and how do I find that peace? Because I think that prayer, pulling up a chair and having a conversation with God is actually the first step to finding peace, or to use our word, the quest for rest, the first step to finding rest for your soul. The Bible talks a lot about this quest for rest. God designed us for rest. God designed us to work hard. He designed us to play hard. And he designed us to rest hard. You see this in the very beginning of the Bible. In the very opening chapters of the Bible, God's creating all of creation. And if you look, we'll have the verse on the screen here in Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. talks about the beginnings of, of, of the world. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested from all his work. See, we were created in the image and the likeness of God, especially in his, in his spiritual likeness and his emotional likeness and his, his, uh, his moral likeness. That's kind of how God designed us. And one of the things he designed us to do was to rest. In fact, it became a major part of the Jewish religious custom. God told them, you need to take a day off every week. Set it aside for me. They called that Sabbath. Sabbath rests. It's a concept of intentionally resting your soul. And when God gives... The laws to the Jewish people, that's one thing he wants them to follow. So all through the Bible, we see that God understands our quest for rest. But how do we find it? How do we find it in the modern era, an era in which, you know, you know, you know we're not living by Jewish law anymore. And, and how do we find the rest? Jesus talks about this exact thing. It, it, you could fast forward. We were in the Old Testament in Genesis. Fast forward all the way to the New Testament of the, of the Bible. New Testament is like that last third of the Bible. And it's about Jesus, and it's about his teachings, and about the people that followed him in the early church Jesus addresses this very thing in Matthew 11. It's gonna be on the screen here. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can uh, look on the screen. Also, if you don't own a Bible or just need a new one, we give those away. Uh, There's ones under the chairs here. Uh, That's not somebody else's. Well, it might be, ask your neighbor, but if it is, isn't theirs. Uh, If you need a Bible, take that. Uh, Grab that, take it home with you. We want you to have Bibles. Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And what? And you will find rest for your souls. He says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. We're gonna break this verse up really into two sections. First, he says, This, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Does that sound familiar? Can we be honest for a second? Do you ever feel just weary and burdened? Sometimes it happens to me when I, when I turn on the evening news, and I just see the junk we live in. I mean, I just see the news. I see about the crime and about murder and about uh, politics, and I'm just like, oh, man, this stinks. And there's that burden, or maybe it's something very personal in your life. Jesus says, come to me who? He doesn't say, come, come to me all you who are perfect and have your life together. He doesn't say, come to me, all you who have got it all figured out. He doesn't say, all you who have perfect church attendance. He doesn't say, come to me, everyone who understands God and prayer and everything perfectly. And he says, no, come to me, who? Everyone who's weary and burdened. Why? Because I'll give you rest. It's what I do. It's kind of my thing. Why did Jesus address this thought? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Why? I think it's because he understands us. He gets us. He understands that we will overextend ourselves. He also understands that we can only carry so much on our shoulders. And he wants us to know that we can have a place to find rest. So let's go on through this and find out how in the world it relates to this empty chair on the stage. Rest is knowing that everything's going to be okay. Rest doesn't mean that everything's okay. Sometimes you can be in the middle of complete chaos in your life, and you can still find rest and peace. Why? Because you know that everything's going to be okay. It's going to work out. I love watching my kids play. You ever watch a... A couple kids play, like, and they don't know, you're a fly on the wall, and they don't know that you're watching. And my kids play these games. They play this one game called Biltmore. This summer, we went to the Biltmore Estate out in Western Carolina. If you've ever been there, it's like this mansion, and they just tell you about all the servants and all the programming they did, and they had, like, the pool built into the secret catacombs of under the house. It was amazing. And my kids play this game called Biltmore. It's awesome, though, because when they play, um, they're the servants. Like, they're not like Mr. and Mrs. Biltmore. They're like, hello, would you like some shoes? And I'm just like, that's what, kind, what have I taught them? Like, we're, the, we're the servants. Um, they also play this other game. It's my favorite game they play. It's called Bomb Shelter. Yeah, it's un, undoubtedly a creation of my sons. Uh, my daughter, she tags right along. It's called Bomb Shelter. That's how, tell, tell, let me tell you why I love it. Because the way that they play this game is they get all the pillows and cushions from all over the house, and they cram them into their bedroom closet. And then they get all the supplies they need for when the bombing comes. And then they go into the closet, and they shut the door. And then they just hang out in there. They're just like, guys, where are you? We're playing bomb Shelter. Okay, keep doing that. Just, it's a padded room. Like, what could go wrong? It's a great game. It, but, but the cool thing about watching kids play is that they have no care in the world. They don't care that they don't really live at the Biltmore State. They, I, I love, I, I went to Ecuador. Was It last fall. Got to spend a week there. And I, I went to this little kid, this, this house, and there was this little kid there. I'm surrounded by chickens and pigs in the house. They don't have anything on their floor but dirt. They literally have concrete walls and a roof that I can see through. But there's this child on the floor, and he is playing a game. And as I get closer, because I want to just hang out with him a little bit, practice a little Spanish. We, he and I, he's like three, so we speak the same level of Spanish. And so I'm talking to him, and I realize what he's playing with is a rusty nail. You know what? He's living it up, just drawing in the floor. How come kids can do that? He doesn't know what kind of poverty he lives in. I'm sitting crying with his mom because she's worried that they're not going to make it through the week. i tell you why. Because kids understand rest. They understand peace because rest is knowing that everything's going to be okay. But as we grow up, we lose that sense of, of peace because we feel like we're now responsible for making everything okay. Now up to me. That's not what Jesus says. He says come to me, I'll give you rest. The next thing he says starts in verse 29. He says take my yoke upon you, you, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. What in the world is a yoke? What is a yoke? Well, it's easy. You I don't know. The yolk is the, it's the yellow part of an egg. And it depends on how you cook it how you name the egg. No, that's a yolk. It's a common mistake. Yolk, Yoke, Y-O-K-E, uh, it's, it's something that binds two things together. That's what it is, yolk. Um, and the most common application for that word is it's like in a farming apparatus. And so you have maybe two, uh, two oxen, and they are yoked together with a bar across their neck. And what do they do? They might pull a, they might pull a, a, a plow, or they might pull some kind of a trailer or a sled or something. Uh, they're yoked together. They are bound together. Now, in Jesus' time, there were these people called rabbis. A, a rabbi is uh, basically a Hebrew word for teacher. And so that was kind of your title, and you would, you would become very smart and very well acclaimed, and people would know about you, and then you would be called a rabbi. Uh, Jesus was a rabbi. There were lots of rabbis. There are still Jewish rabbis today. And a rabbi has a certain sele- uh, like selection of, of philosophies and teachings and a pattern of life that they live by. Okay? And so you might find this rabbi, and he kind of understands God this way and life this way. And the things that he teaches would be called his yoke, his yoke. And you find another rabbi over here, and he teaches these things, maybe slightly different than that guy over there. And the the things that he teaches, the patterns of life that he goes by, and the philosophies that 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 he subscribes to, those are his yoke. And so, if you find a rabbi that you really like, you would go to them and say, Rabbi, I like your teachings. I want to take on your yoke. In other words, if a yoke is something that binds two things together, I want to be bound to you by your teachings. I want to follow you and learn from you. and So it was a big deal when you picked a rabbi and you said, I want to carry your yoke. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And when you would go to that rabbi and say, I want to take on your yoke, what you would then be saying is, I want to be your, it's a Bible word, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. I want to be your disciple. The word disciple means a learner or a follower. I want to be your disciple, I want to walk in your footsteps, I want to live as you live and do as you do and think as you think, and I want to take on your pattern of life. And Jesus says, if you want to find rest, you want that rest for your soul, you want to spiritually be able to sit in your lazy boy and finally find some rest, take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's what he says. When you hear about someone's philosophy of life or, or of anything, it, it's, it's helpful to hear what they have to say about it, but I'll be honest, like, I really don't care what you say. I want to see what you do. You know the phrase, actions speak louder than words? Like, you've heard that? I don't want to hear what you have to say. He's like, blah, 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 blah. Show me what you do. And so Troy a plays for the Steelers. Big dude has this awesome mane of hair. I, he'll get on TV and be like, you know how I keep my manly locks in check? I use... What does he use? Head and shoulders. Shampoo. And I'm like, well, that's cool. And I see Michael Phelps, and he's like, I'm an Olympic swimmer, and I've got like six bajillion gold medals. You know how I do that? I eat at Subway with Jared, you know? And like, but you know what? He can say that all he wants to, and Troy Polamalu can say that all he wants to, but you know, I don't care what they say. I want to look in, in Troy's shower and see what shampoo is in there. Like, I love your manly locks, but what do you actually wash your hair with? Michael Phelps, I love that you're endorsing Subway, and I'm sure they're paying you plenty of money to do it, but what do you actually eat to train yourself, right? So Jesus says these things. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest. And I'm like, that's great, Jesus. And I really love hearing what you have to say. But I'm curious. What do you, what do, you do, Jesus. To find rest. I need to qualify this because maybe it's confusing. Aaron used the phrase earlier in the service that Jesus was the Son of God. That's what Jesus calls himself throughout the Bible. We see that. It gets a little confusing when we start to understand Jesus, but but the easiest way that I've been able to put it is this: that Jesus is God in human form. God said, You know what? I look down at the world and I see where things are, and I want to connect these people with my love. The best way for me to do that is to become a man, to become a human, to go down there and live alongside them and, and let them say, "See what I want from them." And the Bible gives these really cool illustrations saying that he's both fully man and fully God. Can you comprehend that? You're, you're better than I am intellectually, but th- to know that God is fully man is, I know this. There are times when Jesus there were times when Jesus got wiped out, and He needed rest. Like there's this one time when Jesus was absolutely wiped out. We find it in Mark chapter one, and and, I'm gonna give you the background on the scripture, and so it says in Mark chapter one that Jesus kind of comes into this city, and as he's, when he gets there, it's like the very first thing when he gets there, he meets this demon-possessed man, and he has this altercation with this demon-possessed man, and and, and in this setting, Mark Mark is called, I've heard the the, the book of Mark, which which is a book about Jesus' life, the gospel of action, because Mark doesn't give a whole lot of details. He's like, then he did this, then he did this, then he did this, then he did this. It's like listening to my four-year-old tell a story. Because he wants to get all the big points in. You miss the details. But all I know is that Jesus comes into this city, and he meets this demon-possessed man, and then he makes the demons leave. Because that's one thing Jesus is really good at. Apparently, it was such a successful thing and so impressive that immediately the word about this thing Jesus did begins to spread all over the region, right? So it spreads like wildfire. So he heals this man from being demon-possessed, and I don't know how long that took, but it must have taken a better part of the day. And later part of the day, he goes uh, to to this other house that says his follower Simon has a mother-in-law, and she's sick. And so Simon goes, Jesus, can you come to my mother-in-law's house? She's got this fever. Can you please help her get better? And so he goes to his mother-in-law's house, and, and, and he heals her. Again, I don't know how long that took. Mark doesn't give us a lot of details, but that's pretty much his whole day. The word about the demon-possessed guy begins to spread. Bam, like that. The word about healing the mother-in-law spreads. Bam, like that. And it says by the time the sun goes down, at the end of the day, people are lining up outside of Simon's mother-in-law's house with their demon-possessed friends and their sick relatives saying, Jesus, please take care of us. And I don't know how long this went into the night, but I know Jesus, and I know that he had compassion on them and must have taken time with all of them, or as many as the day would allow. It was one of those days, I got to imagine, where Jesus was just like, oh, I just want to go to bed. I'm tired. I need rest. He's been dealing with the the, the spiritual battle with these, these unclean spirits, these demons. The Bible talks about demons all the time. It's insane. We don't really acknowledge them much in our modern culture, but... Surely they're around, right? But Jesus deals with this. And then he's dealing with the emotional fatigue of dealing with sick people and their relatives and their hurt and their pain. And at the end of the day, you know he must have just been wiped out. It was one of those days. And then we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the next morning, what Jesus does. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went to a solitary place. What did he do? Where he prayed. How did Jesus find rest for his soul? This is just one example of many times in scripture where we find that Jesus has done something uh, overwhelming. He's been involved with with maybe thousands of people in some instances. And what does he do to recharge? Where does he go to find rest? He pulls up a chair. And he has a conversation with God. Which is kind of crazy because he is God. I didn't miss that, (laughs) but he does. And so when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, you know what's crazy? He says, because I am God. Come to me. When he says, come to me, he says, come to God. Find rest for your soul by spending time with me. And I'm going to go through just a couple of things. I think there's maybe four things, maybe more that you could learn from this passage that's still up on the screen about uh, Jesus praying. It says this very early in the morning. What can we learn about praying? Last week we learned the art of the simple prayer. Pull up a chair or or sit on the floor or talk on your cell phone when it's turned off or whatever you gotta do. Write in your journal, sing a song, whatever you gotta do. But do it deliberately and do it simply. But Jesus teaches us a few things, I think just by example here. His actions speak louder than his words. First of all, it says very early in the morning. What do we learn there? This is how Jesus started his day. We've got these sayings that we use you know, I got up on the wrong side of the bed, or I haven't had my cup of coffee yet. Really, that's just an excuse for us to be grumpy. <laughs> uh, stop. Get over yourself. Instead, let's start the day better. At my house, uh, the first thing in the morning is not the best time for me to have prayer time in my house. I've got, like I said, small kids, and, and they're up and around. It's just not, it's not quiet. It's not super peaceful uh, for that setting. And so I can't do it there, but, but I do try to do this. When I wake up, the first thought to go through my mind is, here, you can write this down. Some of you are taking notes about prayer. If you want to write this down, this is something I start my day with almost every day. Dear God, please make this day about you. Make this day about you. Because what I'm doing is I'm then dedicating this day to him. Now, I, I guarantee you that later in the day, I'm going to be tempted to sin. Later in the day, I'm going to do some boneheaded thing. Later in the day, I'm going to be stressed out. Later in the day, whatever. But the first thing in the morning, I want to start my day with a simple prayer. Simple, simple prayer. In fact, I'll go ahead and throw this in. This is a freebie. Start your day with prayer or a word to God. In fact, make it a bookend for your day. Try finishing your day with a little prayer. After American Idol goes off and you turn it off and you lay back in bed or whatever you do in the evenings, last thought, if you can help it before you go to bed, is God, thanks for today. Even if it sucked, that's the hard part. (laughs) Even if you're like, this day was terrible, but God, still here. (laughs) You're still here. Let's work on tomorrow. Make them bookends, but anyway, Jesus started with the example. That's how he started his day. The next thing that we see is barely in the morning, early in the morning. The next phrase: while it was still dark, Jesus got up. I'm not necessarily thinking we have to get up and like sit in the dark and pray, but I think he exemplified something here for us because it's possible that there were still people laying around on the ground trying to get healed from him. They were still there, and he got up early in the morning while it was still dark. I think because of this, this is the the phrase or the idea. There was nothing else going on. He found a time in the day when there was nothing else going on. Jesus was in high demand. And so he knew that later in the day he was going to be busy. So for you, it might not be first thing in the morning. I know for me, like when I go to the place I'm going to meet for the day, I will try my best to get there just a few minutes early so I can sit in my car while there's nothing else going on. Spend a few minutes in like some, some actual prayer, not just a sentence, but like, okay, God, these are the things on my mind. And, and some of the things we talked about last week. So again, please go back and listen to that if you haven't. But, you know, that's where like my, my, my specific prayer time, Can be And for you, it might be on your lunch break or on your commute home from work or in that few minutes before the kids get home from school or or that moment right as the TV goes off before you go to bed or before you turn it on for the evening, whatever it is. He got up early in the morning when it was still dark. He started his day. The next thing he did was make sure of the time when there was nothing else going on. The third thing that that I'll just tag on to that is this. The place where he went was away from the chaos. He got up and he left the house. Guys, you might need to leave the house Or you might need to find a place in your house where you can shut the door. Or you might need to do it at work where there's no one else around and you can avoid being distracted. And the last thing I think we learn from that is this. It's it's, it's maybe a no-brainer, but look at the last three words. It says, you read it with me. The last three words, if if you got hooked on phonics, read this with me. Ready? Go. Where he, what? Prayed. He he prayed. I'm so guilty of this. I'll set up time to talk to God, and I'll go, and I got my notebook, got my time, got my music, got everything set up, and then... Let's pray. Dear God, I, ooh, a butterfly. <laughs> I think that's a monarch. I'm going to catalog that. And next thing I know, like, I'm on Facebook, I'm texting people, and everything goes on. And, like, I didn't actually pray. Like, I went through all the motions of praying, but I didn't actually, like, sit down. It would be like going on a date with somebody and spending the entire date texting someone else. What's the point? Don't go on a date. Don't waste their time. So I love that Jesus set the example. Not only did it get away, it was important to him, but he actually was dedicated and, and devoted and, what's the word, disciplined and prayed. And so those there's some, are there's some things that we can learn. And so not only did Jesus say, come to me, but he sets the example, and, and he lives it out. Richard Foster is an author. Uh, I recommended his book on prayer last week, um, and uh, it's a really good book. And in, the, in this book, he, he says, prayer is like the eye of a storm. He compares it to being in the, the eye of a storm. Of a storm. And this is why, because in the midst of chaos and confusion, we sit in a pocket of peace and calm and comfort. Prayer is like the eye of a storm. Uh, when I was in high school, um, Hurricane Fran came through North Carolina. Some of you guys might remember that if you're from here. And it went right over my hometown, man. It just destroyed our city. And I remember being in my home. I don't even remember what time of day it was. I just remember being in my home during the hurricane. All around us, man. Trees were falling down. Our power had gone out. You just hear the wind beating up against the windows. It's scary. And you're sitting there, and you're just like, man, is this over yet? And then I hear my dad from another room, and he goes, guys, guys, come here. Come check this out. Come outside. I'm like, um, no. <laughs> it's a hurricane outside. And Dad's like, no, seriously. Check this out. So we go outside. Because my dad's not crazy, and I trusted him. And I went outside, and it was like a peaceful summer day. The sky was blue. The clouds were beautiful. There were broken trees, and power lines were down. There were puddles of water everything. It looked like a storm had been there, but the weather was calm. The eye of the hurricane was going directly over our house. Prayer is like the eye of a storm, Because when there's chaos and confusion, when there's pain and stress and anxiety and discomfort, when there's everything else falling apart all around us, we can pull up a chair with God most high and find rest and find peace. Because rest is knowing that everything is going to be okay. We're all in different places in our life, especially when it comes to faith and our understanding of God and it's one thing to say, yeah, my soul is weary, and so I go to Jesus to find rest. It's one thing to say that, but it's a different thing to actually do it and apply it. Because like I said last week, prayer is an awkward form of communication. It's not, it's not like any other communication we have. Normally when we talk to people, they shake their head, and they're like, uh-huh, yeah, and they, and they nod, and they make comments on what we say. When we talk with God, the communication's different. He doesn't speak to us in an audible voice. He doesn't always nod his head. In fact, sometimes it takes days and weeks and years to see the answers to the questions that we're asking. And so when I think about Jesus saying, come to me and you'll find rest, and I think about how that works in with prayer, but the question I have, and I think maybe the question that you might have, even though you haven't even asked it yet, but think about this, is, okay, I get it. I, I get that if I go to God, he's in control and I should find peace, but how does that work? How does that work? How is prayer supposed to make me feel better? The best way I could understand and I thought through this a lot. I had a conversation with Aaron earlier this week. Like, man, I just want to put a, I want to I be able to put my, my thumb on this and understand it better. And this is kind of what I came up with. When I, when I was a, a child, I had chores. Maybe you did too, hopefully. If not, you're probably a delinquent. Um, but I encourage you to get chores now. Like, make your bed, even if you're 40 and you don't do that now. Uh, so, you know, we had chores. What, what did my chores do? Well, they defined um, my roles in the house, right? Like I had to do the dishes sometimes, and my mom was obsessed with vacuuming. We vacuumed too much. I don't know why. And so I had these roles, and they, and they, were, my, they were my chores, and that's what I did. And one of my chores occasionally was to make sure I go by the mailbox when I got home from school and got the mail. It's a chore. What, what does a chore do? Well, it does a lot of things. One thing it does, it helps you define your role in the community you live in, right? And so that was my role? What was my role? Get the mail from the mailbox. Get the mail from the mailbox. Now, as an adult, now I've realized that there were probably a lot of things going on behind the scenes in the mailbox that I wasn't aware of. You know what I mean when I say you go to the mailbox, you open it up, and there's a bill that you didn't expect or that you knew was coming, but then you're like, oh, is it the 15th already? Right? But as a kid, I didn't know about all that. I just got the mail, I took it, I put it on the coffee table. If my, uh, Weekly Reader magazine was in there. I mean, I grabbed that puppy, went to my room, and circled the things, whatever. Like, that was my role. Like, I didn't have to care about the bills because my role was to get the mail. My dad, on the other hand, had a different role. He had to open the bills and pay them. When it comes to God, finding rest more than anything else is about knowing your role. Your role is not to fix all the problems. Your role might be to pay the bills with your family, but in reality, God calls himself the provider. Your role might be to be concerned about your sick loved one and to pray for them and to keep them and and take care of them, but ultimately God calls himself the great physician and the great healer. If you can know your role, it will quiet your soul. Being able to go to God and say, God, I've got this situation at work, and it is stressing me out. (laughs) But you see the big picture, and I don't. I want to put this in your hands. I'm not going to lose sleep over it anymore. I'm going to do my role. What's my role? I don't know, go to work, be a good employee, do my job, don't be a jerk to the guy, whatever. Know your role, and it will quiet your soul. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. When it comes to finding rest, it starts with knowing your role. It's about saying you are God and I am not. You are in control, I am not. You see the big picture and I do not. And if you know your role, it will quiet your soul. It may not happen this afternoon. I'm going to go and tell you that. It may take weeks and months, if not years, of practicing letting go. And that's what we'll talk about more next week and in future weeks as we talk about prayer and understanding God. But knowing your role is not about sitting and waiting for handouts from God. There's still a life to live. But if prayer is about pulling up a chair and have a conversation and a talk with God, then rest is about pulling up a seat next to him and having a seat and letting him take care of the details. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest. Can I pray with you guys today? Let's pray. God, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of trying to take on too much of your role and stressing out finding anxiety there. Help me let go. Help me know what my role is to execute it well, but then to draw the line and say, these are the places where I've got to trust you. God, you've surrounded each of us with people in our lives who can help us see you better. And I pray that this day can be a day of rest for all of us. That leaving here, we can take the burdens of our lives and we can take them to you. And that not, that we won't just look at this one talk that we heard this morning and say, oh, I just got to take it to Jesus and it's over. But no, we got to learn about what your yoke is. I mean, what does it mean to follow you? What does it mean to live for you? What does it mean to live the pattern that you live in? Maybe it starts with prayer, but what's next? How do we treat people? How do we manage our resources? How do we live day to day? Lord, may we as a community of people learn that together so that we can find rest for our souls. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.